So stress is contagious, but so is calmness, right? So if you're getting upset, you're getting frustrated with your child, take a step back and find calm before responding. Because if you come in angry and trying to solve the problem with your kid, it's gasoline on the fire. Calmness is the water. It can cool down any emotionally charged situation. So it's worth cultivating, here comes back to that mindfulness strategy, your inner parental pause button before responding in stressful moments. Welcome to the Parenting ADHD Podcast, where I share insights and strategies on raising kids with ADHD straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, ADHD-aholic, and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I'm really excited in this episode to be talking to Rebecca Brandstetter, and we're going to talk about how to set the reset button when your kid is tired of school, when they really want to check out and kind of give up, especially as we enter or have just started this second semester of the school year here in the U.S. Thanks for being here, Rebecca. Will you start by introducing yourself to everyone? Yes, thanks for having me. So um, I'm Rebecca Brandsetter, and I'm a school psychologist. Um, I'm also a, a mom of two elementary school age daughters myself. And um, you know, it's interesting when this whole pandemic started, I really thought I would be prepared um, and I would be prepared for whatever came my way. And then little did I know, you know, months and months and months into the pandemic that there would still be challenges. So I'd literally done all the things right. You know, I created uh, a cute space. I, I did visual aids. I, you know, primed my kids for what's going to happen. And we had a calming menu on the fridge. And, you know, so should anyone have an outburst? We can go to our calming toolkit, right? And I did everything right. Um, and I literally co-created a parenting course on, you know, distance learning and parenting. And I did another parenting course on how to cope with parenting yourself. And 50% of my children's children hated <laughs> distance learning anyway. <laughs> um, my little one was so not having it. She's six, um, despite all of my efforts. So I know that, you know, distance learning is hard for everyone. It's even hard for school psychologists who have PhDs from Berkeley and stuff, but it's even tougher for like little ones. They're used to hands-on play, guided instruction, visual cues. And then for kids with additional needs, it's really challenging. So, you know, parents, I think right now who are experiencing challenges are about to, you know, reboot might need some strategies to get out of what I call like a negativity spiral right? Yeah. You can just get so, so stuck. And I've been there. So I have some tried and tested strategies for to get out of that negativity spiral. Amazing. I think we all need it. It's so hard now because it has gone on for so long. You know, I think we all expected maybe a month or two or three, and then we'd get on with life and we haven't. And it's still going to be months before we, I think, go back to some semblance of normalcy. And it's so easy, like you said, to get stuck there. It's, oh my gosh, this is not ending. This is so hard. And I don't want to be in this challenging spot anymore. And for our kids, I think it's doubly hard. Because like you said, they're so used to in-person, hands-on, much more social day-to-day than they're getting now. 
Yeah. My kids are like little social butterflies trapped in like a social distancing net. <laughs> like yeah. I caught my little one the other day climbing over the fence to like interact with our kids' neighbors and she had put a mask on, but she was just like, I just need other, like she's got her sister, which is fabulous, but there's a little kid about her age and like, you know, there she's relentlessly social. And so it's so, so challenging to be on zoom because, you know, little ones also don't know. I mean, they know that it's not TV, but they don't really get that, you know, it's an interaction and they can't just like get up and leave. Right. Or they can't just shut off their video or they can't say, I hate this without muting first. Right. So there's a whole new set of skills (laughs) that we have to teach our kids and how to cope with something that's, you know, for a lot of kids developmentally, challenging or inappropriate, but it's all we got. So, you know, I I think it's about um, leaning into what is and changing what we can. Yeah. And I think leaning in has a lot to do with our expectations, especially for kids with differences. Yep. I'm always saying like, relax your standards to a level appropriate for a global pandemic. Yeah. Like it's not relaxing your standards saying, oh, they're never going to learn this concept or whatever, but it's relaxing it so that what's appropriate for the situation and what is the most I can work with my child in this moment to learn that isn't going to tip them over the edge with a frustration tolerance, right? And it, or yes. some sort of power struggle. I'd rather have my kid do one math problem and not have a full uh, blowout meltdown than to, you know, muscle through an entire worksheet together. Yeah. Oh, the power struggle. Mm-hmm. how well we know the power struggle <laughs> and how useless it is. You know, we all get so easily pulled into that, sucked in, and it's never, ever effective. But it's it's so common right now, you know? Our kids are supposed to do school. Yeah, and it actually folds into a nice segue into <laughs> our first strategy. So as parents and as adults with frontal lobes that are fully developed – we often jump in with problem solving, right? We sit down and go, well, let's just start this first one or, you know, well, let's ask your teacher or what do you know? Like we jump straight to cognitive functions. But when our kids are stressed, they're not available. They're in fight or flight. Their thinking and reasoning skills are not neurologically available. I mean, just think of the last time you were stressed. Were you at your peak cognitive performance to like solve problems and dig into tasks with deep focus? Probably not. Heck no. Um, There's zero chance of success of problem solving until your child is regulated. And a lot of kids of, you know, families with additional needs really understand this. So my first strategy is when in doubt, choose empathy. It is the neurologically fastest way to get your child to work with you, which is counterintuitive, right? Hold off on problem solving, process before problem solve. My favorite phrase that I've been using that downregulates my kids and actually adults I work with (laughs) um, is it makes sense you're feeling this way or Mm -hmm. I get why this is so tricky right now. I get why this is hard for you. It brings your kid back to that baseline level of calm for problem solving with you. Yeah. Love that. Um, so the second strategy is to, and this is something we all know, but kind of sometimes forget, um, and it's to build fun movement breaks throughout the day. And I emphasize fun because I know like my kids are on distance learning and they, you know, if your kids are at home and, you know, they, ha- they come on break and some kids just want to chill during break or some kids want to like actually even go on to some like computer game during break, which is like no eyeballs off screen, right? So my new favorite, and a lot of folks might know this one, but um, is Go Noodle for little ones. 
Um, Go Noodle is a YouTube channel and it has really fun things. Like you can do a little two minute dance with Sonic the Hedgehog or Elsa or whoever. (laughs) Um, You can jump over a pickle with a moose, like these crazy little things that are super fun. And you know, what's kind of a fun side effect is that my kids come in and I guess time for Go Noodle and I take a break from my inbox and I'm like, wow, I I needed that, right? I needed adult adult recess, you know, and tag, these things are mental reboots for kids. Um, and then kids with ADHD or extra wiggly friends or kids who, you know, get um, overloaded, need sensory breaks. I mean, you can just have them do some jumping jacks, push up fun stuff, right? Like, you yeah. know, chase me around the backyard, chase the puppy, whatever you need to do. But Go Noodle is one of my favorites for that quick break. And, you know, it's something that it's, yes, it's still a screen, but if you can do it with your kid. It's a nice break. Are you not familiar with yes. Go Noodle? Do you have any other movement breaks? I am not. I don't have young kids. My kids are adults. Okay. So. Uh, my kids are adults. My son just turned 18. Oh. Um, yeah, so I don't. Yeah, what kind of break could you do with older kids? Let's puzzle. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, what can you do? It easily ride a bike, skateboard, go walk around the block, jump on the trampoline. You know, that's still um, sort of movement stuff, I think. I think a lot of that kind of thing is still of interest to teens. Mm-hmm. Um, my own son has a virtual reality system, a VR, which gives lots of movement. He sweats buckets when he plays VR, and it's a very of interest to him. Like, that's all he wants to do. So sometimes we use that as a break, and then we come back and work on schoolwork again. So little harder to disengage from stuff like that. So I think you have to know your child and know if they're going to be able to use that for a short time, that kind of thing, and then come back to work or if that's just going to create more problems. But, you know, anything that kids are into, you know, that has some movement to it can work for that. I think, too, sometimes it's hunger and having a snack, maybe a crunchy snack because they're um, a sensory seeker. Yeah, so get creative, parents, with things you can do for movement and snack and movement. You know, um, I think, you know, not everyone has access to certain technologies, but like a Wii Fit is just what triggered for me. Like those, my kids love the dance. I don't know what's called now, dance revolutions or whatever, go dance yeah. or whatever. I mean, you could even just get on YouTube and dance along with your favorite, whatever. Um, but yeah, maybe put your head together and do a little, you know, what kind of movement breaks. And, you know, older kids can understand the research that just even 20 minutes of your heart pumping gives you 90 minutes of extra focus. So mm-hmm. it makes it a little bit more easy because, you know, teenagers are all about things being, you know, easier and more fun. So you're going to be, you know, it's going to be a lot easier to finish your next class if you have taken a break. I think animals are also great too. If you have a pet, you know, mm-hmm. they, oh, you know, Fluffy needs a walk or whatever. <laughs> Fido yes. needs a walk. And it's, it's not top down parent being like, you need to exercise, right? Because no one, I don't know about you, but if someone's like, you need to exercise, it doesn't make me feel like I really want to exercise. Drop and give me 50. Wait, why? (laughs) It kind of has to be their own idea. But if it's like the dog really would love a break right now, can you go take the dog? I think so. Everyone go get a pandemic puppy. That's right. You too. (laughs) I think everyone's already done that. I know we have one. We have a husky. (laughs) His name's Gryffindor. Um, (laughs) We're big Harry Potter fans over here. Um, yeah. and speaking of interests and the hobbies and, and, you know, our family loves Harry Potter. Um, we have been sorted into houses. You'll be, you'll be happy to know my kids that uh, sorted me into Slytherin, but I think it was by default. They already took the <laughs> other ones and they needed to fill a house. So I'm not going to take it personally. 
Um, but one of the things that we did when our, our kids were sort of over it and we were about to start on like round two of distance learning um, is we collaborated on a school workspace makeover. So mm. the research for adults shows that clean workspaces trigger positive emotions and, and increase focus and productivity. And so this is true for kids too. So making a tidy and contained workspace, you know, make it fun instead of like a chore. Like if your kid loves Harry Potter, like mine, we set up a little Hogwarts desk, right? We put little, um, you know, snitch lights <laughs> above it. And, you know, if your kid's into Star <laughs> Wars, uh, make a command central station with them. If they love nature, like, you know, my little ones, she calls herself nature girl. She loves nature. We got mm. her some caterpillars that are c- presently in their chrysalis. I don't know if that's the plural for chrysalis. Um, <laughs> but anyway, like a plant or a little terrarium with a critter to keep them company right it doesn't have to be on pinterest worthy like fabulousness the important part is to enjoy the process with your kiddo and fuse a bit of fun if you don't have like a private space like you're in a smaller apartment or something i've seen people set up um these you know those science boards that are like three folds yes they've used that on their dining room table but they've decorated to look like school or like you know, oh, yeah. if they're going to um, Disney's Descendants, uh, Oridon, right, or whatever they're into, like <laughs> pick whatever. Um, it doesn't have to be fancy, but it's collaborating with your kid and just setting a reset button. Like, I don't know about you, but like when I have a nice clean desk and it's all tidy, like I, my brain works better. I don't get distracted as much. So just yeah. have a little fun with it. Yeah, that's so much fun too. And I always encourage parents, you know, if it's not sitting at the desk, you're sitting at the table. Because a lot of our kids with ADHD like to get pretty creative with their bodies. So, you know, my son used to stand on his head to do his reading off the back of the sofa. Or, you know, he would crawl under the table and lay on his belly and do a worksheet. Like, that's totally okay if that's the way that they need to do it. I think your point is that we need to have them part of that process and conversation and planning and to have fun and be just completely out of the box with it. Yeah. And you're spot on, you know, you, you're not going to clamp down on your your expectations that they should sit quietly, you know, ankles crossed and stuff if that's not what they're like. And so it's really, I, I like to also do what I call like, just, I call them experiments. So if my kid has a terrible idea about how they should (laughs) be learning, like we'll all get on the loft bed with a puppy. And I'm like, interesting. <laughs> like, um, okay. So sometimes I'm like, let's experiment with that. And so we got the puppy up there and he like, you know, jumped all over their stuff. I'm like, what do you guys think? And they're like, I don't think so. Right. Instead of me just being like, no, that's not going to happen, which you can do as a parent. That's totally fine. But I knew my kids would keep asking and asking. They're like closers. They're going to be amazing salespeople one day. Yeah. <laughs> they will literally never take no for an answer. <laughs> like, right. But once we did that little five minute experiment and didn't work, they moved on. So, you know, if your kid's like, I want to read upside down and you're like, that's weird. No, um, they're going to balk at that. But if you say, let's try that. And if you can still finish your worksheet when you're done, go for it, kiddo. I mean, as an adult, I'm at a standing desk right now. I love it. If someone's like, you got to sit down, I'd be like, come on. I don't want to. I don't work that way. All right. So you treat your kids how, you know, you wouldn't want someone to clean up your desk space for you. You wouldn't want someone to tell you how to sit. Um, it's an experiment. So just be a little flexible with your kid, especially during this time, give them a little control in a world of chaos. right? Yeah. And I talk about a lot, finding ways to say yes. And that strategy of making an experiment is one of those ways. Mm-hmm. Yes, let's see if it works. But if it doesn't, we're going to try a different idea, right? So yeah, when we find ways to say yes, we're not shutting our kids down, we're, we're respecting 
their opinion and perspective. And that's so very helpful with behavior and so many other things. Yeah, like my kiddos want to sit next to each other, which I get, but they were, you know, mucking around and taking screenshots and, you know, in each other's Zooms and all that stuff. And so (laughs) (laughs) I was like, well, that that experiment failed. Um, So let's, let's reboot. How many days of, you know, separation and focus do we need to try this again? And it said five. And so they separated, they focused, their teachers reported back all was well. And then we did an experiment and they, you know, stepped it up and they weren't in each other's Zooms. And if they backslide, then well, well, that experiment failed. We need to, (laughs) not failed. That's data. That's what I always say. Well, it didn't fail. That's some data. Some data is when you're next to each other, it's super hard to not interact. And I get it. Again, back to the empathy. It makes sense why you would want to like play with your sister when you're right next to her. (laughs) Of course. So it's, it's, uh, it's a dance. It's, It's one of those things that you want to be flexible with. Um, one of the other things that falls under things I know, but don't do, um, <laughs> which is kind of all of these things on the list. So it's always just good to bring to the forefront of parents' <laughs> minds. Um, it's easy to focus on what's not going well, particularly yeah. distance learning. And research shows, though, that happier minds are actually more productive, more creative. So it's worth trying to retrain you and your kiddos' brains to scan for positive. So one yeah. of the ways my family does this is um, through our gra- a gratitude jar. And we call it the love jar because my girls just like sticker bombed mm. it with hearts and stuff like that. So things you love about the day. And there's a little sticky notepad next to it and fun pens and whatever. And then, you know, we have it right on the breakfast bar because we're always eating there and say something dawns on them and they write it. Um, I pair it with my coffee drinking because I do that always. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Whenever I do that, it reminds me to, you know, I put coffee in the jar. But then another thing too. Um, and then we read them all out loud together on ice cream Sunday with ice cream Sundays. And it's become a family ritual that it helps us not forget to do it. Yeah. Because our brains are evolutionarily primed to scan for negative. And when you scan for negative, your brain likes patterns and tries to scan for more negative. So when you start scanning for positive, it's actually really funky. Like when you start doing this, you actually can almost feel your brain like looking for good things because like you want to put something in the gratitude jar. And so it's so easy to be, to think about like the time that your kid, you know, went off YouTube to watch Disney's Descendants, hypothetically speaking, <laughs> during a Zoom. Um, mm-hmm. But you didn't, there was also like seven hours where they didn't do that. You know, and with kids with ADHD, as you know, like they need a heavier ratio of positivity to correction or feedback because they have a longstanding history of getting a lot of correction. So, you know, it's sort of three to one for, you know, neurotypical kind of kids without ADHD. Um, And then for kids with ADHD or kids who are having learning or emotional challenges, it's more like five to one. So that's a real, it sounds easy, but it's actually hard to think of five positive things to one correction. It really is. And the gratitude Mm -hmm. jar is really helpful for that. And so it doesn't always have to be about school. It can be about other things and you know, nicely prepared meals. And, you know, in this time of struggle, a lot of families are struggling right now. And we, we need to really think about things we're grateful for, things that we take for granted, right? We have internet, we have yeah. food, we have shelter, we have heat, we have these things. And it actually is a, a great activity for not only rebooting distance learning, but just training your kids to scan for positive and it's protective. Yeah, we should all be doing a gratitude practice. And I love that you have an ice cream party and read them out loud. I never (laughs) thought about that. Like I've always, I talk a lot about self-care and we have a mom retreat for moms of kids with neurobehavioral and neurodevelopmental disorders. And so in self-care, you know, I talk a lot about 
have a gratitude jar. You know, this is a hard journey. You need to be reminded that there's lots of good stuff too. And then you can go back and read it when you're having a tough day. Well, why does it have to be a tough day? Like you just made me question, why does it have to be a tough day? We can go back and celebrate those things anytime because they should be celebrated. You're right on. And, you know, one of the other things that I was reading about the pandemic, why it's so hard on teens in particular, is because they don't have rituals of rites of passage. Their prom is gone or, you know, graduation is gone or, you know, homecoming is gone. And so if you can build in little family rituals, of course, it's not going to take the place of, you know, the big coming of age rituals, but little new rituals can be really protective. And my kids look forward to it. I mean, they, they know when ice cream Sunday is coming and there's a flurry of little post-its that go up in that jar on Sunday at like four o'clock, <laughs> but it's, right. it's happening and we don't forget about it because a lot of things that we, we know and we try on exercise and, you know, New Year's kind of resolution stuff like are gone by February. This the gratitude jar has had some stay in power for about two years now because I think the ice cream, I really do. <laughs> yeah. You know, we had, we still have a chalkboard wall um, for my, when my kids were much younger and I would write little gratitude notes to them. So I'm so thankful that you are creative or, you know, just pointing out something that was really awesome about them from me, um, which is at the end of the hallway where their bedrooms are, so they're seeing it all the time, was really fun. And I really should do it now too, but you've given me a good reminder. Yes. And the research on, or, you know, when we're thinking about New Year's resolutions and stuff, the research says when you say something out loud, you're two to three times more likely to do it. So let's do it together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to reboot my gratitude practice. Everybody out there, yes. say it to yourself, say it to your uh, spouse or partner, say it to your kids, and you'll be more likely to do it. <laughs> that is Accountability. True. And my kids do not. Let me forget about that jar. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, because you've made it so fun for them. Yeah, yeah. they look forward to it. And we need, kids need something to look forward to, even if it's just you know a little bit of ice cream and appreciations. But it's also nice for couples, too, because you can be like, oh, wow, they noticed that. You know, I folded, you know, seven tons of laundry <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Yeah, we all like to feel appreciated, don't we? Most definitely. What's next on the list? Um, so this one's something that a lot of families will already know about again, um, but it's a worthy, worthy reminder is using mindfulness to offset stress. So research shows that mindfulness practices increase focus, attention, improve calming, self-control, decrease stress, decrease anxiety and depression. I mean, if there was a pill for that, like everyone would take it. <laughs> mindfulness, right? So there are a lot of fun yeah. mindfulness activities you can do with your child. And it doesn't have to be sitting and meditating like a lotus flower for an hour <laughs> to enjoy the benefits, right? Like it can be a sensory walk. We're going to go on a mindful walk and we're going to only use our, our sense of smell. What do you guys smell, right? It can be really easy things. It can be, you know, and mindful eating. There's a lot of fun things. And you are one Pinterest search away from like glitter jars that won't quit and like amazing mindfulness tools, really fun stuff. And then you also are connecting with your kid. We're going to be um, creating that glitter jar together, or um, it's going to remind you to do mindful activities. So mindfulness commercial, I could go on. We could do like an entire podcast on commercial and mindfulness. And I'm sure you've had um, guests before who talk about it, but it's a worthy reminder that the mindfulness can offset this stress that our kids are experiencing. And, you know, there's fun apps too. Um, my kids love the Calm app. We do uh, at bedtime the calm stories and things like that. 
there's really cute, you know, yoga for kids on YouTube and things like that. So just get creative about um, some favorite mindfulness activities. And so for older teens, they might enjoy, you know, some apps like Shine or more kind of kid friendly, you know, fun apps and five, 10 minutes reboots and things like that. And again, the key is to help them decide what works for them. So give them some options and explore. Do your kids have any mindfulness activities that they've grabbed onto? I mean, um, even basketball and thinking about nothing but basketball is mindfulness, right? It's paying attention to the present moment and not judging it. So if you're way in on a sport activity, kicking the ball, that's mindfulness. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I I live in Asheville, North Carolina, and I'm surrounded by mountain vistas, and it is beautiful here. And I have been here for almost 18 years and still, when I leave the house, I marvel at how beautiful it is. And my daughter said to me the other day, I, I find it so interesting that you're able to appreciate that all the time. She doesn't see it that way. And I had been listening to an audiobook by, I'm going to brutalize his name, but Nin That Hutch, something like that. And he said, you know, noticing the trees, noticing the leaves, noticing your surroundings and appreciating them is practicing mindfulness. So all this time I've been doing that and didn't realize, but, you know, I love to go kayaking for my own self-care. Like that's my happy place and just floating down or paddling down. I'm totally appreciating it the whole time I'm doing it. And it can be as simple as that for our kids. Um, I like the Insight Timer app also. Mm, Yes. I think it's great. My daughter who is in college and has some pretty wicked anxiety uses the Muse, which is a headband that gives you feedback. It's reading like your heart rate and some stuff, and it gives you feedback during the practice to say, hey, you, you need to recenter your waning and calm. You know, oh. you're you're getting activated and it will, like I think she has her set to water. So the water sound will get louder if she has started to become more activated and isn't neutral or calm which is really cool to get that feedback. It's a really neat tool. Um, Also, there's a book called Breathe, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes because there's a few children's books called Breathe, but this one is like, it's a kid's book. It's got beautiful illustrations, and it's all like imaginative activities for kids that they're doing either Tai Chi or yoga or practicing mindfulness, but they have no idea because they're just doing this imaginative play, which is amazing. It's a it's a sweet little book that I think is so cool. I wish it was out when my kids were younger, but um, there's so many tools for that now. So many. Oh, okay. I think that's going in one of my kids' stockings, if not both. That sounds great. I'll look for those show notes. <laughs> that's why I love doing these. I always love yeah. things as well. Um, you actually um, touched on the sixth strategy without even knowing it. You're psychic, right? Uh, mm. yeah, very intuitive. Um, it's balancing screen time with green time. Mm. So the reality is a lot of our kids are sitting most of the day, right? Their eyeballs are on the screens. And for a lot of families, it's like so hard to see your kids with eyeballs on screens all day. And they're sitting a lot, right? Especially yeah. and especially older kids, they want to relax after school. And they might want to relax with a video game or texting their friends, which ah, is more eyeballs on screens. So, you know, the eyeballs on screens itself is not the full problem. The problem is reduced opportunities for exercising, playing outdoors, right? Because they're sitting so much. You know, even though they take breaks, it's just, it's less. Mm -hmm. And research shows that spending time in nature is associated with positive mental health. So gosh, after school, head outside. 
you know, go explore those beautiful mountains, anything you can do outdoors. And I know that the weather is turning and it can get chilly to be outdoors, but it's still so, so important. Go build a snowman. We can't do that in California. I'm so jelly. <laughs> <laughs> we can be a dirt man. Like that's no fun. <laughs> no. So, you know, just even a couple minutes of romping. Look, shoveling snow. <laughs> um, even if it's a short time, like I know when it's super cold, it's hard. But I think even if you just took a five minute walk, it's so much better than not doing it at all. Yeah, absolutely. It just any kind of outdoor time is um, a counterbalance to the screen time. So one of the other strategies that I want to make sure we get to, and this is something that probably any uh, any folks who have been listening to your podcast or you know, have kids with additional needs know already worthy reminder is remembering that your kid's behavior is communication. Yes. So if your kid's acting out, they're refusing to do their work, you may totally understandably get frustrated. It makes sense. You feel that way, right? There's my phrase. Yeah. And if you, you might even wonder like, God, why are they giving me such a hard time? Like, why can't you just sit down and whatever? Right. But in these moments, it's important to remember they're not giving you a hard time. They're having having a hard hard time. time. This is something that my co-creator of Make It Stick Parenting and I, Elizabeth Sauter, who you had on a little while ago, Mm -hmm. are constantly reinforcing. And it's actually just shifts that lens right back to that first strategy of empathy. Their behavior is communicating an unmet need. So the next time your kid balks at the math worksheet, instead of clamping down on compliance, just um, one of my strategies is notice and explore. Is the math too easy? Is it too hard? Are they distracted because their birthday party just got canceled? Like, get curious about what they're really trying to tell you with their behavior. Lean in with empathy. It makes sense that this is tough right now. And instead of clamping down, just notice and explore. Like, oh, what's up with your math today? What's going on for you? I and We as adults have a lot of hypotheses about why kids are balking at stuff. And I'm telling you, when you ask them, like, I'm usually wrong. I'm usually dead wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not about yeah. that, I, that she doesn't like macaroni and cheese. It's totally about like, she's like, I miss my friends. And it's not about like, this is too hard. She's like, it's just too easy. I'm like, oh, all right. Mm-hmm. And right, like, it's hard to focus on things that feel like rote or mundane. So, you know, I ask your kids, like, what's, what is it about this math worksheet that's hard to get started on? And they may know and they may not. Um, but my goodness, ask them because you never yeah. know. They might provide some insight. And, you know, again, don't do it when they're in brainstem, when they're activated. Later, maybe over ice cream when everyone's happy. Hey, I noticed you had a hard time starting your math. What's going on? I'm not mad. I just would like to, you know, understand what it is. It's hard so we can work together. Yeah. That collaboration is such a big key too. Yeah. You know, we can be authoritarian or we can be collaborative and it always works better if we're collaborative. And that's really the relationship that we want to have with our kids. We don't want to be always in power struggles and do as I say. And, you know, it's not a fun place to be in for us as parents either. It might be easier if we just said do this and they always did it, but it's not, it's not a really rewarding sort of relationship to have with your kids. Okay. So now I think that you stole a copy of my top 10 list and are going straight (laughs) off of it because you just tapped into number eight. So either we're like super in sync with our ideas or like you've hacked in my computer. Okay. So (laughs) number eight is actually making time for connection. So research shows again and again that positive relationships are a buffer for stress. I have been saying since March 13th or so, when there are stressful times, connection is protection. 
kids who feel seen and supported by their parents are going to be able to bounce back from stress easier. So schedule some one-on-one time where you just focus on connecting and enjoying. Don't talk about school. Don't have your phone on. Pick a fun activity to do together. And it doesn't have to be a long thing. It can be 10 minutes, 20 minutes tops. Like you can take a family walk. You can play a game. I played uh, some Harry Potter game last night. It was 10 minutes. I was tired. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. And my kids were like, let's do Harry Potter game. And I just remembered my mantra connections protection. I have been on um, all day, you know, doing work stuff and they've been on distance learning stuff. And I really haven't had an opportunity to connect with them. So we did 10 minutes of Harry Potter and, you know, bedtime was actually really smooth. And I think it's because we put money in the bank with the connection, right? Like anything your kid enjoys, the connection lays the foundation for coping when things get stressful and even for agreeableness. Like, oh, okay. I mean, when you're connected and you're not, you know, battling over stuff, you're going to be more easy breezy. So again, that connection is protection. Cross stitch that on a pillow and put it in your house somewhere. (laughs) I love it. I love that. It's so easy to remember, too. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's a, a catchy little phrase. Here you go. Connection is protection. One of the things that I have done with my son to connect as a teen is that he's really into music. And he creates some of his own digital music. So I always listen to whatever he's created, even though a lot of it is not my thing. <laughs> you know, I still am, am happy to see what he's doing, right? And I'm I'm excited about it with him. And A lot of times it's just a matter of, hey, I want to play this new song I found for you, mom, because dad's also a musician and, you know, we're we're really into music and a lot of different genres and, you know, we're a pretty musical family. So it's really fun to say, hey, let me show you this new song I found. You might like it, you know, and and we all do that with each other in the family. And that's connecting, you know, that's being open to another's interest and being excited about it with them. Exactly. And it doesn't take long to you listen to a song, right? Like right now my yeah. husband is listening to Disney's Descendants 3 soundtrack with my girls and like, yeah, he probably wouldn't <laughs> pick that independently. Um, right. But, you know, they love it. They're having fun. They're dancing around and it's connection. So connection is protection. So think creatively about what you can do for just 10 minutes today. That will be a connection activity with your kiddos. So, so important. I do want to get to all 10. Um, so let's yep. do this. Um, number nine is modeling calmness. So mm. it goes along with the co-regulation because you're not going to be able to bring empathy and understanding and to a interaction if you're not calm yourself. So I recently did a course called Peace of Mind Parenting, um, in which I share out more detail on these types of strategies of co-regulation. And I have like the ABCs of distance learning in this um, online course. And a lot of it's around the things I'm talking about right now, but also how to apply it day to day. So one of the favorite quotes that I shared in this um, Peace of Mind Parenting course is from um, L.R. Nost. I don't know if you know. But anyway, here's the quote. When little people are overwhelmed by big emotions, it's our job to share our calm, not join their chaos. Yes. So stress is contagious, but so is calmness. Right? So if you're getting upset, you're getting frustrated with your child, take a step back and find calm before responding. Because if you come in angry and trying to solve the problem with your kid, it's gasoline on a fire. Calmness is the water. It can cool down any emotionally charged situation. So it's worth cultivating, here comes back to that mindfulness strategy, your inner parental pause button before responding in stressful moments. One of the strategies that I share in my piece of my parenting course is the one for me, one for you breath. 
it, it actually taps into that. It's you're not giving me a hard time. You're having a hard time thing too. Yeah. My hand on my heart, my hand on my tummy. I got this one from Kristen Neff, who's a pioneer in self-compassion. You take one deep breath for yourself. This is hard. And you take one for your kid. This is hard for him too, or her too. Right? You can say this in your brain. You don't have to say it out loud. But it comes in with calm then and empathy. It's a twofer. It really helps me before I I react. So modeling calmness. And it's double down. You're calmer. You're helping your child co-regulate. And you're teaching them, hey, look, mamas need pause buttons too. I'm going to hit that pause button. I'm feeling stressed. Narrate it out loud. This is a strategy Elizabeth and I talk about in our Make a Stick Parenting course is bring your underground language about how you cope with stuff to above ground. Wow, I feel so stressed right now. I'm going to go take a little deep breath. And I'm going to come back and then, you know, I'll be calm and we can problem solve this together. But I need a little breaky break. Right? Yeah. yeah. And that's a lot of what I teach parents to in coaching in my own courses is that, you know, you can add gasoline to the fire by reacting in kind or you can calm the entire situation some by remaining calm and lending that calm to your child. Yeah. And it's so easier said than done, but it takes practice. But once that's the one for you, one for me breath has been really a game changer for me. It's a small thing, but we know that deep breathing um, calms our own nervous system down. And so that's just a really quick and easy on the fly in the moment strategy that I invite parents to try on. Love that strategy. So number 10, drum roll. (laughs) This is a biggie. The last one is to connect with your child's teacher. So Mm. remember how connection is protection, right? So that goes for the connection between student and teacher too. Like when students feel connected to their teachers, whether in person or online, engagement increases, right? It's hard to build rapport on Zoom, but it can be done. The first step is to let your kid's teacher know that your kid is struggling. A lot of times teachers, they don't know. It's one Brady Bunch kid in a square, right? And they don't know that when they, you know, shut their video off and started crying and then came back, right? Or whatever it is. So Mm -hmm. a few minutes of, you know, extra one-on-one attention from that teacher breakout rooms or personal check-ins from a teacher during, you know, Zoom breakouts or after school can make a huge impact on student engagement. You know, bless my daughter's first grade teacher. We had a meeting and I was like, look, just so you know, she is going to the bathroom 10 times, like you're turning the video off. And like what my, what the teacher sees is she's not engaged. Right. And what I saw was tears and frustration. And so when I connected with a teacher and shared my observation, she's like, here's what we're going to do every day after school for one minute. I'm just going to say, you know, great job with X, Y, or Z, or, you know, what are you doing this weekend? Just not about school, just connecting. Like my daughter inexplicably has this like obsession with ducks. Like she just loves ducks. That's her thing. <laughs> um, so she's just like, oh, you know, do you have any duck toys? And like she showed her a duck toy. And guess what? Her engagement skyrocketed because she felt connected, right? So yeah. it really makes sense to partner with your school. Get through this together. Connection is protection as well. Learning is not a place. It's a relationship. And yes. school's not canceled or, you know, school is happening. That relationship if it's, if it's not working with engagement, please go ahead and connect with your teacher. They're there to help. They want to problem solve. They don't want kids to be disengaged and crying and upset and, and things like that, right? Look, they're overwhelmed too. So 
you know, you want to come in with this, like, let's problem solve together, but seriously connect with your kid's teacher and just let them know, like you're willing to help with, you know, this collaboration, but, you know, kind of clue them in because, you know, a lot of teachers, they don't know what's going on behind the scenes. They can't see it. Unlike in the classroom where they could see when kids shut down. Yeah. And even if all the kids in the class have their camera on, that's still way more than a teacher is going to be able to pay attention to every single kid, you know, their little tiny thumbnail on the screen plus what they're teaching. And so they may not even notice if your child sat there and cried right on the video, right? They may not even see that. So communication is so key. Yeah. And I think it also falls into our gratitude jars that whenever I connect with my child's teacher, I make sure to say, I like, I really appreciate all you're doing. I know this cannot be easy. Um, And it can't. And as a school psychologist, you know, I work with school psychologists across the country in my online course, um, the Thriving School Psychologist Collective. And we're looking at ways to support teachers right now and kids and families, because we're all in this together and we are not going to get through it unless we're all together, right? This We're apart, but we are together and we're in it together. And that's really where, you know, our energy needs to be, which is really collaborative, collaborating with our kids, collaborating with the school. And if you have additional concerns, collaborating with your school psychologist, look, we're here to help. We really want to help. If your kid's struggling, reach out to your child's school psychologist, see if they can put their heads together for some strategies. My school psychs across the country are like pushing in Zoom, doing social emotional learning lessons. I mean, we're really trying to attend to the social emotional learning needs of kids and we're doing it remotely. You know, Mr. Rogers was one of the best social emotional learning teachers of all time. He did it virtually so we can do it too, right? (laughs) That is so true. I am such a huge Mr. Rogers fan. Yeah. Everything we need to know about parenting, we can learn from Mr. Rogers. I know. I love him. (laughs) Yeah. So real quick, before we wrap up, you have a freebie for everyone where they can go to the show notes, get the link, go to your opt-in and get this freebie from you. You want to tell them what it is? Yes. So you can go to RebeccaBrandstetter.com, which is my website. And if you scroll to the bottom, there's a free guide. Um, and so again, this falls under everything I've talked about. It's like stuff I sort of know, but don't do. <laughs> right. um, this is a way to um, tap into how to keep calm and parent on during stressful moments. And it's not just for the coronavirus, it's for all times, but there's simple self-care practices for parents, 25 activities you can do as a parent that are proactive for self-care or take less than five minutes. That's my criteria. They're easy in the moment strategies for when you're feeling overwhelmed or anxious or annoyed, or you need a reboot. And then to compare to also as a companion, I have my 10 favorite mantras and mindset shifts that give you comfort in stressful times. Things like connection is protection, relax your standards to a level appropriate for a global pandemic, right? Right. All of these things that are um, really protective because self-care on its own, just the behavior can sometimes be insufficient. You also need self-compassion. You need to give yourself grace. You need to be able to tell yourself you're doing the best you can under the circumstances. So I have some very comforting things to tell yourself that parents have found to be really helpful. And also um, some 25 like quick reboots, put it on your fridge, you know, and then circle one that you're going to focus on for the day. So that free guide for parent self-care um, rebooting in stressful moments is available on RebeccaBrandStutter.com for your audience. Fantastic. And we so appreciate it. For the show notes, for everyone listening, go to Parenting ADHD and autism.com slash 113 for episode 113. I want to thank you again, Rebecca, for sharing some of your time and wisdom. 
It was so fun to talk to you and really dive into some amazing strategies to help our kids, which is also helping ourselves, right? (laughs) Through super challenging times. So with that, we'll end this episode. I'll see everyone next time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me on the Parenting ADHD podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses, parent coaching, and mama retreats at parentingadhdandautism.com. 